I'm Devorah Vale. I'm a life and wellness coach and the host of this podcast. Welcome to Accessing Your Best Self, a space meant for exploring the wisdom of Torah and its practical application for improving our character. Good morning, everybody. As everybody's coming on, I'm just speaking a little bit more about um, the the uh, meat of this day in terms of the Omer. Every day as we climb towards our Sinai, as we get ourselves ready to be vessels that can actually accept and receive the Torah, right, on Shavuot, which is the day of the giving of the Torah. But if you don't make yourself into a vessel that can receive, you know, a person can give you all they want, but if you're not willing to accept it, then it obviously doesn't reach its mark. So the idea, again, of the fact, one idea that I just want to highlight is why was the Torah given in the Midbar? In a desert, right? An ownerless place. So there are many good answers to this question. But again, in terms of character development, the idea is, is that you have to empty yourself of your biases, of your judgments. Actually, today, Tiferet Shabbat Tiferet, one of the... Uh, things I get on my chat, which describes this Mida, it says uh, one of the practices you can work on today within yourself is to re- reconsider some of your previously held truths. Just because you've always done it that way doesn't make it right. So this is the idea of making yourself into a midbar, of reevaluating, kind of checking yourself. Just because you always did it that way doesn't necessarily mean it's right. And um, again, as I was saying, each one of us is either naturally tends towards chesed or gavura. You know, there are some of us who love doing kindness. We love doing things for other people, but we can't stand davening, right? Because davening takes gavura. In the yeshiva world, let's say with boys, there's two different styles of learning Torah. You can learn it be'iyun, which means that you're learning it very in-depth, going very, very slowly. Or you can do it be'kiyus, which means that you're covering a lot of ground. You don't want to go deep. You want to just be broad. So some boys tend towards one or the other, and they're adamant. I can't learn that way. I have to learn this way. But both have their value. And we all have, um, you know, the chesed and gevura that is part of our personalities. I was listening to somebody the other night, and she was giving a lot of practical examples. She was saying, like, the chesed type of personality is the type of person who has no fixed bedtime. You know, they could be up all night doing who knows what, right? And they're always tired in the morning, but somehow they function. And then the Gavura person is somebody who has a set bedtime every night at this time. It does not change. It has to be like this. They're very structured. If something comes up where, you know, maybe they should just stay up and schmooze with people because people dropped over. It's very, very difficult for them to do that. Okay. And she said you can see it in every aspect of life in the way we deal with food. And... um, what other area? And she said basically this general idea that, you know, chesed is saying yes when you really should be saying no. Whereas gavura is saying no, you really might and should be saying yes 
So that's just an interesting way of looking at it. The other way she uh, talked about it, this woman, Abigail Brelovsky, actually, she's very, very good. I don't know. She just came on and I can't find her again. But um, she said that it also in terms of you and other people, you know, a chesed person is the type that always puts other people first. And sometimes they lose out in terms of their own self-care. And self-care is very important. I've talked about that in other classes. And I think, yeah, it's going to come up in our Simcha Sachayim series. That putting yourself first is chesed. Now, the other problem with people who are too much uh, gevura, perhaps, is that they put themselves first and they can't put other people first at all. It's all about me. So again, some people are guilty of too little self-care. I think the guilty Jewish mother usually personifies that, right? Somebody told me we were talking about our childhoods. And I guess my parents were Canadian. I don't really have Holocaust uh, survivors in my immediate. And, you know, I was explaining how I was raised with benign neglect. And, you know, it was like, you know, figure it out yourself. And she was saying, oh, my gosh, I was sitting with a bunch of children of Holocaust survivors. And they were saying, whoa, that is so different than our upbringing. And one of the women said, yes. She said, if I could have chewed the food for my children, I would have done that, too. You know, I'm, you know, she was explaining how they were just so on their children and, you know, anyway, whatever, it's interesting. So again, we either are heavy on one side or the other. And the idea of Tiferis is trying to uh, tweak that and develop that part of ourselves that isn't so developed. And that is called beauty. That's called beauty and it's called truth, MS. And the beautiful word truth, Aleph Mem Taf, right? In Hebrew, it's telling you that Aleph is the first letter of the alphabet. Taf is the last letter and the Mem is the middle letter. So it's teaching us, even in the word itself, that when something's true, it has to be true from beginning to middle to end, right? All the way through. Okay, we're going to go back to our topic this morning. Of Zrizos, of alacrity, I want to dedicate this class to Rafua Shalema, to Rivka Gittel, Basihudas, Shmuel Yosef, Ben Devora, Shlomo Noach, Ben Bracha, um, Binyamin Chaim, Ben Zelda, and all of those who need a Rafua Shalema. Okay, so last week, just in general, what is Zrizos? What is being zealous? What is alacrity? A word that we don't really use that much. So when you look at the definition in the dictionary, it seems to refer always to speed, to doing something quickly. But as we're saying, as much as that is definitely a part of Zrizos, doing things quickly, not procrastinating. Um, you know, once you have a mitzvah to do, doing it right away, not allowing it to turn into chametz, right? And we said the same act that's done with a delay is no longer the same act. It may not even be a mitzvah anymore. And even if it is a mitzvah, it's considered a blemished mitzvah. Because again, when we do something right away or we do something slowly, lethargically, I'll get around to it. We're sending a different message. The message is what? It's not that important. 
I don't really care that much about you and you're asking me to do this or that, right? Or I don't really care that much about this mitzvah or I'll get to it, but not now. There's too many other things that are important to me, which may be, you know, just not doing anything. So this is the area that we said is very important. It's one of the midot that is up there when it comes to serving Hashem, when it comes to growing spiritually and working on ourselves. Uh, now the office, now there are areas where we have reason in our life, naturally, things that we care about, things that we do with speed, people that we care about. And then there are areas where we don't. And we call this the opposite of Zrizut. We call it shiflut, which are those areas where we feel low energy, where we just don't get around to it. It's just not a priority. Mitzvahs that don't interest us because our chesed part doesn't really want to do that gevura type of mitzvah or the opposite, a gevura person who loves his own company and is very happy to meditate with God doesn't really want to get their hands dirty with hanging with with people and organizations and volunteering and chesed. Okay, so again, which are those areas each one of us has to ask ourselves, where are those areas that we get excited and areas where we don't? Which are the mitzvahs that are naturally, we naturally do? That even if God wouldn't have told us to do them, we do them because they make us feel good. And which areas do we need to be commanded to do it, right? When you do a, a mitzvah of chesed, just because the spirit moves you, you know, you want to be nice. You want to be kind. It makes you feel good. That's not necessarily a mitzvah, by the way. Because a mitzvah means that you're doing it ultimately because God told you to do it. <clears throat> There's an expression in the Gemara that says, greater is the one who is commanded and does than the one who is not commanded and does. Now, this would seem counterintuitive to us. You know, you have a kid who comes to you and says, hey, mom, can I take out the, you know, can I take out the garbage for you today? Can I make that my job? Right? And then you have the other kid who you say, you say to him, don't forget when you leave to take out the garbage and he gives you a face and he grumbles and he says, oh, geez, you know, what do you think I am, your slave? Okay, so which kid do we think is the greater kid? Of course, the one who volunteered, the one who did with a smile. But this is not so. This is not so. The Torah is teaching us, the Talmud tells us, Greater is the one who is commanded and does than the one who is not commanded and does. Why? Because human nature is that when somebody tells us to do something, we immediately, uh, what's the word? You know, all the forces inside us say, don't tell me what to do. I'll do it when I'm good and ready. I'll do it when I want to do it. Or we might say, well, I was just going to do that, but now that you asked me, forget it, okay? I'm not doing it anymore, okay? Because again, back to this two-year-old that lives within us and the teenager that lives within us, 
And the adults or seeming adults looking like, you know, we're mature and grown. We're not growing any bigger, any taller, right? Human nature, free will, the, the desire to resist the command of anyone, whether it's human beings or God himself, is built into us in order that we overcome it. Again, from the last classes we've talked about, that is what makes us B'Tselem Elohim, made in the divine image, that we choose. We can choose to override that part of us that says, when I want to do it, I'll do it. Now that you told me to do it, I'm not interested. So when we're commanded to do chesed, and you're not a naturally chesed type of person, okay? You just don't really like people. You're a misanthrope, right? I love, I love mankind. It's people I hate, said Linus, you know? <laughs> um, that means that if you're a God-fearing Jew, it doesn't matter how you're wired. You need to do that chesed because God told you to do it the same way he told you not to eat that food or this food, which seems to have no impact or influence in this world, right? Now, helping an old lady across the street, I understand that, you know, that makes a difference in the world. But telling me not to wear linen and wool together, come on. That doesn't make any sense to any of my sensibilities about how this is going to make this world a better place. I don't buy it. I'm not going to do it because I'm smarter. Okay. I only do things that make sense. Oh, really? Do you really only do things that make sense? I wonder if we really only do things that make sense. You know, if you did things that make sense, as my brother likes to point out, more people die in car accidents than are ever going to die from this pandemic. So you'd probably be a lot wiser not to get into your car. Right. If you only do things that make sense, then make sure that you're distanced and blah, blah, blah and with your mask on. OK, I'm giving a crude example, but <clears throat> we do a lot of things that don't make sense. In the meantime, again, the point is this. When we do something because bottom line, whether it's chesed that we would naturally have done, whether it's returning a lost object, which we naturally would have done because we're just a good guy. When we do it because we know we're being commanded, then it becomes a greater act. Because again, no matter what it is, whether it's the chesed that's natural to us or the chesed that's unnatural to us, because we're not wired that way. Or we do that gavura act, right? We get ourselves up and we do something that we'd rather not do, but we do it because God says so. It becomes a very great act. The battle itself, by the way, even if you lose and you don't even get to be able to do the act because you lost, the battle itself is considered a success because it means you're in the game. You're not a spectator, you know, Judaism's not a spectator sport. It's not, it's all right, the rabbi does it, you know, he can do it for the whole shul. Let him be the holy one, right? I'll come to shul once a year. That's my job. No, Judaism is not a spectator sport. All of us, each one of us is supposed to be in the game. We each have a position to play. 
And if you're not battling, if there's no battle taking place inside yourself between the Yetzirah and the Yetzirah Tov, well, you better check your pulse. Because spiritually speaking, it means that you've died. It means that there's nothing happening over there. You know, hello, it's dark. And that's not good. Because if you're struggling and you want to do more, and yes, it's hard because your family's not on the same page, or your spouse isn't on the same page, or you're worried about what your friends will think, or you can't change because, you know, that will upset everybody. Okay? You have to realize that's okay. But the fact that there's a fight inside of yourself, it means you're alive. It means you're the fish that's swimming against the stream. It's hard work and it's painful. And it's not always, doesn't always result in success. But the battle itself, I want to emphasize, is worth fighting. Because that's really what life is about. That's what being alive is about in the Jewish sense. It's always striving to go one step higher. To challenge your free will on another level, right? I like to say when I first became, you know, or was even thinking about becoming religious, right? You're still going to drive by McDonald's and have Big Mac attacks every time, you know, you do that because that's what you did your whole life, you know? And to not, you know, turn that car, you know, burn rubber and go into McDonald's and get that usual thing. No, I only eat filet o fish there. It's kosher, right? Whatever it is, right? That's okay. Even though you, we all know it was fried with the same, you know, chazir that everything else was. But that's okay because I'm, okay, that's a level. That's a level. I don't want to, I don't want to say that's not a level. Okay. But let's say you want to go a little bit higher. So it's going to take a little bit of effort and time. And you may fail. You may, you know, burn rubber into McDonald's a few more times, right? And get that filet o fish before you actually win and all of a sudden what does it mean to win it means you pass mcdonald's now over and over again and it doesn't even enter your mind that you're going in there with your kippa and your beard no just kidding but you know you're just not going in there you're not incognito anymore you are a jew right and even if people can't see it because you're a woman maybe you're wearing a skirt now you know it and it's making a difference the same way it makes a difference when you don't uh, lie at the amusement park and pretend that all your kids are under five when they're all, you know, over five. Now, if you're not a Jew that looks like a Jew, obviously you can get away with these things and think, okay, you know, I can lie and cheat here and there. Nobody knows. But the truth is, is when you put a kippah on or you look identifiably Jewish, right? Let's face it. People who don't uh, look identifiably Jewish, they can get away with a lot of stuff. But if, God forbid, a religious Jew tries to cheat or get away with things, oh my goodness, we all know what a Hillel Hashem that causes in the world and how people love to write about that and how secular Jews love to point a finger and say, you see, that's why I'm not religious. That's why I'll never be religious because you see, you see what they do. Yeah, you do it too in little ways, but nobody catches you because you don't look Jewish. <laughs> so it's just an interesting point to keep in mind. 
Okay, sorry, I deviated a little bit, but I hope it was helpful. And I hope it was um, a little bit of clarity in terms of why we do mitzvahs. Not because they make us feel good. Not because as my husband says, you'll have a fresher breath and brighter teeth, whiter teeth, and your life will be perfect. And everything will go the way you want it to, because after all, God, I'm doing what you want. You better do what I want. This is a deal we're making here, right? But rather that when you are able to fight that battle within yourself and do what's commanded of you, even when you bulk against it, that is the spiritual work. That means you're building spiritual muscles. And of course, we don't want to reach too high and we don't want to take things that are too difficult that we know we're going to fail at, but we want to reach. We want to say, you know what, maybe I'm ready to try this. Maybe I'm ready to do that mitzvah. Maybe I'm ready to do something that makes me appear openly Jewish to the world. And guess what? When I do that, they remind me of my accountability and my responsibility to be a, um, what's the word, an ambassador for the Jewish people. Because let's face it, when a Jew does something great, people see it as the whole Jewish people. And we see it that way too, right? And when a Jew does something negative and bad, it's all those Jews. And we feel it too. We're embarrassed when a Madoff is in the news. We're embarrassed when a Harvey Weinstein is in the news. We take it personally. And when we look identifiably Jewish, we're taking things to a new level. We're saying, good, I want you to remind me of, of what I'm supposed to be behaving like. I want it to be a constant reminder. I've told that story before that when I was dating my husband, we were driving once and all of a sudden he takes his kippah and he pulls it off his head. And I looked at him, what are you doing? What, why did you do that? And he said, well, you know what? I, I mistakenly cut the guy off behind me. I didn't mean to, but I did. I don't need him to know that I'm a Jew. I don't need him to say, damn Jews, right? So again, there's the responsibility and accountability that comes with looking and saying, yes, judge me by a higher standard because I have to be living at a higher standard. I'm supposed to be or la goyim, like to the nations. I'm supposed to represent, this is how a God-fearing person behaves. Somebody who takes their marching orders from only the highest of the high. Now, I used to say also, I'm really deviating, but okay, whatever. Um, as a kid, you know, we had certain halachas in our house, okay? I didn't know from Orthodox Judaism. I thought we were the most Orthodox family on the planet. You know, we were living in St. Catharines. I'd never seen an Orthodox Jew. Uh, I mean, the rabbi, you know, he actually ate at our house and he was a Shomer Shabbos. So we were considered the frumest family in St. Catharines. And um, we had certain laws, you know, laws where if you didn't come down to the Shabbos table dressed pretty, you weren't coming to the table, right? So you had to put on something pretty, you know? And of course, as a teenager, it was like, oh, come on, I don't want to get dressed, right? And Saturday morning, you were in shul, whether you liked it or not. And all of these different things. And I still remember being shocked that first Friday night when my oldest brother decided after dinner on Friday night, he's going to a party. 
This was verboten. This was like, what? What do you mean? You know, and of course there was a fight and he slammed the door and he left, you know. But the point is this, is when the rules are made by man, they're made to be broken. I mean, it's like, okay, parents, you made all these rules, you know, and if these rules are coming from you, well, I'll follow them up until I become an argumentative, rebellious adolescent, at which point I'll say, listen, you know, if you're telling me to do this, I can say I'm not going to. But what I think is more um, powerful and why Judaism works in a proper home where there's, where there's not a lot of hypocrisy. And of course, there can be hypocrisy in a very religious home too. But where it works in a home where there's no hypocrisy is that when your parents are telling you to do something that has to do with Jewish law, you know, you can't flip on and off the lights. We can't do this. We don't do this on Shabbos. We don't go to the tennis courts and play tennis, whatever it is. When the parents are following the same rules and the feeling of all of it is, you know why we don't do this and why we're telling you not to do this? Not because you have to listen to me. I'm the parent. It's because we're all listening to God. We're all taking our orders from a higher place. The same way I'm training you not to do this, it's because I've had to train myself not to do some of the things that I might want to do, right? That might be more fun that everybody else is doing. You know, why do I have to go to shul shop this morning? All my friends are at the mall. When I get older, you'll see I'm going to rebel against this. But if your parents are saying, well, listen, it's not us. We're not telling you this. It's from God. It's from the Torah. It's something that's been going on for thousands of years. And we have to listen too. So I don't know if this resonates with you, but when I had this Kiddush of why it works, when it's coming from a higher place than just from the parents, which of course is a higher place, but it has its limits. Once you, once you discover your parents are imperfect, which we all have that moment where we go, oh, oh my gosh, they're not perfect. <laughs> they make mistakes. Wow. Right? It's like, oh, it's just like, oh no, now what do I do? Now, what do I do? Who do I follow? But that doesn't happen with God. God doesn't make mistakes. Okay. Back to our topic. So, Shiflut, which is the opposite of Zrizus, which comes from the word Shfela, which means a valley, is a place where you just have low energy and you're not interested. So everybody has areas in their light, in their character of either Zrizut or Shiflut, places where you have low energy. And again, Shiflut could be sometimes because of physiological reasons, different stages of our life, what we're going through, you know, physiologically. Or it can be because there's just areas where I'm weaker. And I normally like to only focus on my areas of strength. Again, I like to do the things that make me feel good. I don't like to do the things that are difficult, that take me out of my comfort zone. So sometimes there's certain mitzvahs, again, that we naturally are drawn to and others that we repel because of this shiftless. So we said last week that sometimes a low self-image is a form of shiftless. 
you know, the self-talk that says, I'm not that important. I don't have anything to contribute. It doesn't matter if I show up. Nobody cares, right? They won't notice. And that's a form of shit foot. It excuses you from maximizing your potential. And then we said the opposite, that there are people who set their goals way too high. <laughs> and they do this as a form of shift flip because they basically say, listen, it's got to be 100% or nothing. I can't host guests unless I have the smorgasbord of all smorgasbords and my house is 100% clean and I got new curtains and the paint is already, you know, refreshed. Then I'll have guests. But I can't do it unless things are perfect. That's a form of shiftless. You set your height so high that you have an excuse for not doing. You can throw in the towel. Now, this is interesting. This is new. So who you associate with socially can also be a subtle manifestation of either Zrezus or shiftless of either, you know, get up and go, or I, I don't want to do this, okay? So people who associate with others who have a lower standard than theirs, that's good for them, especially in the area of shiftless, because that means I don't have to do much because I'm better than the next guy, right? It's like in religious terms, right? When we look at somebody who does less than us and we say, you know, I'm, I'm doing more than they are, so I'm okay. Everybody knows the definition of a fanatic, right? A fanatic is anybody who's more religious than I am. <laughs> okay, so, you know, then you have uh, people who set themselves up with friends who are way up here, okay? And that's another way that you kind of set yourself up for failure because you say, oh, I'm never going to reach them. That's not a healthy reality as well. You know, I always joke, and you know my joke, that before Pesach, I become a misogynist, a woman hater, because I don't want to hear about how many kugels you've made, and you've already frozen, and, you know, you've been doing this since before Purim, and et cetera, et cetera. Like, leave me alone, okay? You're making me nervous, okay? I don't want to hang out with friends like that. I don't want to talk to them. I'd rather talk to them about the pandemic, anything, but... Your kugels, okay? And how many people you're having? Like, you know, 65 people. Okay, great. And I can't even handle, you know, my immediate family. All right, okay. So we don't want to rest on our laurels with the people that are beneath us. But on the other hand, we don't want people who make us nervous and always make us feel like we can't catch up. Okay? That is a uh, a Zrezus, uh zapper, okay? Like, I'm just going to give up right now. That's it. Okay. In the book, Masilis Yashari, The Path of the Just, written by Rabbi Moshe Chaim Lutzato, which is like a basic uh, sefer that is in every yeshiva everywhere. It's a step-by-step -step, uh, way of character development that many, many Young men learn along with their regular Gemara and Torah learning. You know, they'll have half an hour of Musar, Musar, which is what we're doing. 
working on their character traits to make themselves into a vessel, of course, for Torah. So there, Masila Shisharim, the Ramchal writes, the biggest factor or Zriza Zapper is, quote, needing too much physical rest, hating hard work, and loving pleasure. Hey, this all makes a lot of sense. These are the things that really kill our zrizos. So physical rest is like a bell curve. Too little rest makes you tired. But when you sleep too much, right? Think of your teenagers, right? You become lazy and de-energized. And so with sleep, right? Part of finding the balance is zrizos, is understanding the balance of sleep. You have to find the right balance of sleep. So the question Masila Shisharam also asks is, why is it bad that I like pleasure and luxury? Why does that kill Zrizos? Why does that kill my get up and go, my desire to do mitzvahs, my doing things right away? So we're going back to the idea of the four elements of creation, earth, fire, wind, and air which the Rambam says each human being is composed of. We all have those four elements within us. Again, what makes each one of us is different and unique is that we have them in different measurements. One of them will be predominant and the others will all be there in different measurements. And that's what makes us who we are and make the decisions we make and move through this world in the way that we do. So we've talked talked a lot about fire when we did our anger series, but just to uh, review, fire, which is going up, has to do with people who are always growing, right? They have high aspirations, all the women on this on the sheer, right? They're not content. They got to keep going. They got to keep finding a new target that constantly seems to elude them or move back. And they're constantly going towards that. Now, these are driven people with high motivation, but the negative side is they suffer from dissatisfaction. They're never happy with the new level they've acquired. It's not enough. They've got to be going. And the negative side of this is that the way sometimes that this manifests manifests itself, this dissatisfaction with themselves and their lack of movement, is they can be very critical of other people, right? Fiery personality critical, easily annoyed, right? Uh, What's wrong with you? Why are you dragging me down? Why aren't you growing with me? What is, you know, why don't, why don't you feel the way I do about this passionate subject? Okay, so they can burn people. So fire is called the destructive koach, the destructive power. On the one hand, it destroys problems. It destroys the former level that you might have been on. But it can also, if you're not careful, destroy people with criticism. And obviously, it can burn good things together with bad things. So it's all how it's managed. It's all how you're controlling your fire. Okay. Now, what about water? So we're going to focus on water now because water douses fire. And water is the pleasure-seeking aspect of man. Somebody who is water predominantly 
they're just very content as long as they have all their creature comforts and the things that they like and the beautiful things around them. And they don't need to grow in all of this stuff that the fiery person's getting all fired up about because they like pleasure and it's all good as long as I've got what I need. Now, water spreads out and pleasure spreads out. So the negative part of pleasure, again, is control. So one piece of chocolate can then turn into a whole bar of chocolate, right? And the mayim of, of uh, the mayim, the water is called the koach of ta'anu, which means like oneg, oneg Shabbos. It's the power to enjoy. People who really enjoy, you know, they get so much pleasure out of life, out of nature, out of food, out of anything physical, right? And their challenge, again, is, is to take that love of pleasure to a higher level and develop love of spiritual pleasures, right? To, be, to, to have an appreciation for spiritual pleasures, which are even greater than physical pleasures, okay? Now, um, so water douses fire because too much pleasure, because basically too much physical pleasure douses fire, the desire to grow. Okay? So this is what we're saying here, that too much rest, too much love of the physical world of creature comforts dampens the desire for spiritual growth. And, you know, throughout Jewish writings, even with the fact that our Avot and Imahot and Torah teaches us we're extremely wealthy, and wealth is not a bad thing in Judaism, and wealth goes together very well with spiritual excellence, but it's only because somebody with spiritual excellence knows how to use their wealth, right? The Torah teaches them how to use this wealth how to be masters over it. When it isn't good is when it becomes master over us, when we can't live without it, when it takes away our desire for spiritual growth, because, hey, God, what do I need you for? I got everything. I got everything I could ever want, right? And the Torah teaches us that when the Jews do well, often financially, materially, that is the beginning of giving God a good kick and saying, I don't really need you. What do I need to pray to you for? I got it all. You know, it's only when we're lacking or in a foxhole, God forbid, that they find out. Anyway, the ace person wants to grow, but if you give them too much stuff, they may not be able to grow. And it's interesting. Dina Schoomaker said she was once a, uh, watching a panel of uh, rabbis who are answering questions. And, you know, one of the uh, educators in Israel said, how do I get American yeshiva bacharim, young American men, to daven better? And the rabbi answered, he said, you want him to have a passion for davening? He's drowning in sushi. <laughs> you know? He's drowning in sushi. What do you think? He's getting up early to daven with passion? His passion is sushi and barbecues and steak for breakfast. 
and the hot tub. You know, too much water. Too much water puts out the fire. Now, too little water dries out the tree and kills it. We all need some pleasure in our life. So too little water, too little pleasure is also not good. So again, too little and too much or the wrong kind of pleasure. For example, you're not going to pour bleach in your tree to make it grow. Basically damages the fire. It damages and puts out the fire and doesn't allow a person to reach for higher levels. Now, Masila Susharam says if there is an imbalance, then people are not motivated to use their potential and be energized. You know, and Dina gives an example of people on vacation, right, who become very good at relaxing, right? They become, it's an art, right? You know exactly what you have to do when you get to Florida so that you can just become a vegetable, for a week right but what she says is you know I often look at the beach you know like when you see everybody just lying there it looks like everybody's dead right okay some people have a book and of course everyone's busy with their phone but you know if they would just be lying there on the earth it's like okay let's dig a hole for you because it's all over you know but the point is the point is is that um she says that people on vacation can find themselves to be extremely tired because of too much indulgence, never mind that you've gained 20 pounds going to all the restaurants on Surfside, you know, but, <laughs> yeah. okay, so we need the right balance of manuha. we need the right balance of rest, relaxation in our life. So again, hating hard work, what does that mean? Hating hard work, we live in a world of convenience, we're not used to working too hard. For sure not anymore, right? If God forbid something goes on the blink in our house and it usually happens right before Pesach, you know, your oven stops working, your washing machine's on the blink, that happens all the time, right? It always happens before Pesach, right? It's a test. Don't adjust your set, right? It's just a test. But the point is, is we become so used to comfort, so used to it being easy that we freak out. I like to say, you know, in the olden days of our boobies and zadies, they expected life to be hard. If it went easy, it was like an aha moment. Really? Things could be easy. How about that? You know? And we're the opposite. It's like, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Why is this hard? This is not supposed to be like this. My day is supposed to be perfect. Everything is supposed to go the way I want it to. Stupid dishwasher, you know, whatever. Okay, um, so Rezus means you have to apply yourself. And if you don't like to work hard, it's going to be tough for you. And she compares it to the beginning of marriage or the beginning of anything, right? We have a saying, kol hatchalot kashot, all beginnings are hard. That you might think something's wrong because it's so hard, but it's not wrong. It just means you have to work harder. You have to find a new way. Hard work does not mean something's wrong. So again, too much sleep, hating hard work, and loving pleasure too much are what rob us of our reason. So Ravolba says too that another, there's another idea that robs us of our reason, and that's when we're cynical about a certain 
practice or a certain idea that others might do. And this happens a lot, again, when it comes to religion, right? My husband bought this cap at Tuvia's once in Muncie. I mean, I don't know if everybody will understand the joke, but I'll explain it. You know, just a little black cap and it had writing on it. It said, you know, it was, it was making fun of the black hat that the yeshiva guys wear to some degree, you know, but it was a little cap black hat. And on the top, it said, I'm machmir on things you never heard of, meaning I follow the stringencies of the laws that you have never heard of, okay? I am really up there. So the point is this, is anybody who does more than us, right? Fanatic. Anybody who does less than us, schlepper, whatever. Goy, chiksa, whatever it is, right? <laughs> That's the way we are. So Rav Volba says that part of shiflos, right? The the uh, the part of the uh, desire not to be zrizos, for example, in a mitzvah is we mezalzel the mitzvah. We say, oh, I can't believe that person is so muckbeat about that mitzvah. It really is not a big mitzvah. It's not something to get excited about. What's the big deal? You know, filet fish is fine. You know, what is the big deal? I'm eating fish. Anyway, whatever. So he says the cynicism, when we hear of a new idea or a standard, what we do is we'll make fun of it. And it's sometimes hiding a lack of desire to push yourself to a higher level. Can everybody hear this? Right? Don't we do this? Somebody's doing something that we, but we're intimidated by it. It's making us nervous. Oh, gee, maybe I'm supposed to be doing this. I don't want to know about this. I'm going to, again, dig a hole for you so that I don't have to grow. Okay? So I can dig a hole for you. I'm higher still. Right? I don't want to have to get up on the chair and try to be as tall as you are. Because that's hard work. That means I have to get out of my comfort zone. That means I have to change. and I don't want to change. I'm just fine the way I am. I'm okay. You're not okay. Right? <laughs> okay. Um, and then number six, if you're following this with any numbers, another reason that prevents us or that reveals our areas of shiftless and fights against Zrizos is the areas of our life that are heavy for us. Okay? We all have areas in our life that are difficult, that we carry, right? We talked about this in the Hakpada series. If you haven't heard it, it's on the uh, podcast, that we carry relationships. We're like the saval, the porter, right? And patience is from the word savlanut. But very often we carry a lot of baggage and we can't always get rid of it. Or it's very difficult. I'll just tell you a couple quotes. Um, that I like. One is I heard from a friend, she probably got it from somebody wiser than her, but she's pretty wise. It says, we can't decide how much pain we will have in life, but we can control how much we suffer. Okay. And then we have another one from Victor Frankl that I love. When we are no longer able to change our situation, we are challenged to change ourselves. This is from a Holocaust survivor. 
who created a whole psychotherapy called logotherapy, which says that human beings need a reason to live, a meaning in order to survive the worst things in life. But even in good times, that's what gives people real life is having a meaning and a purpose. Okay, so there's areas in our life where we're carrying it around like a boulder. And women sometimes lack energy because something is bothering us. Something is weighing us down, right? We take relationships much more emotionally than men generally do. We're going to talk about this more in the class on Simcha on Tuesdays. Please tune in for Project Inspire, okay? That women have an extra dose of sadness. The first place that the word sadness appears is a relationship to women. And this kind of boulder that we carry that's unresolved gets in the way of our zrizos, of our ability to get up and go. So again, topics that are not always comfortable for us or situations in our lives, when we deal with them, we can re relieve the feeling of being schlepped down by it. So when something's on my mind, or there's some kind of difficult relationship I'm in, or let's say I've just had a spat with some friend who I really love and I let it fester and I let it go on and I don't take care of it. And then I start avoiding that person and then it's too late to make the phone call and I let it become a whole avoidance thing. We're carrying all of this stuff. It zaps us of our energy it zaps us of our ability to be bizrizot, okay? And solving a problem, we know when we solve a problem, when we, you know, uh, are able to rekindle a friendship or save a friendship or ask for forgiveness or grant forgiveness, all of a sudden we feel energized. Also, women's life cycles contribute to heaviness. And also, again, our natural home air, the way we're wired, you know, some people are just heavier than others. Some people suffer from more sadness. Some people are faster. Some people are slower in terms of the, the quickness of their bodies, right? Some people have more earthiness in their makeup, which is the tendency to be drawn down and lazy and sad and all those things, depression, okay? And guilt, hello? Guilt weighs us down as well. In the Shiflet family, another thing is guilt. It slows you down. It doesn't let you move forward. It keeps you stuck. And it won't let you accomplish. Rumination. Ruminate. What do we do with guilt? Just quickly to remember. Guilt, is not, there's no place for guilt. I know it's hard to accept that as Jews. You know, we have a lot of it. Okay. I didn't grow up with it. I guess third generation Canadian. I don't know. We left it behind in Europe. I, I don't know. I don't know. St. Catherine's guilt wasn't there. I had to come to Toronto to find it, you know. But anyway, the point is that, you know, stay in a small town. You won't find it there. Uh, um, guilt is there, it's a sign, just like I once read, just like pain, pain is to the body, what guilt is to the soul. It's letting you know, go get a band-aid or, you know, take care of that 
thing that's bothering you. Go to the doctor, figure it out and do something about it. And that's what guilt is. Guilt is, okay, something happened, do something about it. Okay. And if you can't, then let it go. Because the next point is rumination. When you ruminate or obsessively think about something over and over again, your brain is not free to go and move on. And your brain affects your body, right? When you're thinking thoughts that drag you down, that you ruminate, what are you supposed to do with those? In our other classes, we said, make an appointment with those thoughts. Tell them, yes, I hear you. I understand this is important. We'll meet tonight at 7.30. Between 7.30 and 8, we'll try to figure this one out. But otherwise, leave me alone. I plan to have a good day today, okay? I plan to get rid of these thoughts that are dragging me down, draining me of my zrizos, not allowing me to uh, actualize my full potential, keeping me stuck. I'm not going to let you do that to me. I'm in control. You are not. I choose my thoughts. You are important. I will pay attention to you at the right time. Okay. So again, the thoughts affect our body, right? What goes on between our two ears affects all of us. And, you know, if, if we feel zapped of energy very often, it begins with what we're thinking up here. And so we have to change those thoughts and that will help us to get up and go. Okay, so God willing, next week, we're going to continue with how do we overcome all of these different Zrizut zappers, okay? Or how do we work with what we have? How do we work with them? How do we, you know, become masters and get better at recognizing how they're in our life each one of us has different ways that we um, manifest shiftless, whether it's the very simple, I'm not important, nobody cares about me, it doesn't matter what I do. Because Rezus is really not just about speed, it's about caring what you do. About feeling that what I do and that I do it now is important. Right, like we said, it changes the quality of the mitzvah. Don't let your mitzvah turn into chametz. Which word? Which word do you want me to spell? Zrizut? Mitzvah? The? Just kidding. Um, <laughs> all right, tell me after. Anyway, right. Okay, so that's your homework, ladies. Watch yourselves. Pretend you're a fly on the wall. Be objective. Look at those areas where the, the, vo the negativity starts, right? Or those areas that you're not that interested in, but you know that you should develop yourself in that area. Or that mitzvah that you can't stand, you don't want to do it. Okay? We're going to learn about that next week, Gail. You're going to have to come back. How to overcome. Okay. And, you know, look at the areas where you have a natural's reasons, right? The things you love to do. You know, my mother, they used to call her, her name was Edie. So I learned this, you know, at the end of her life, she had a lot of wonderful friends and she was an artist. So she had a lot of arty friends. And one of her friends, uh, her, the son of the, the son, I think I'll get off it now. Oh, okay. 
one of the sons of her friends worked in the opera and he was a set builder. So this friend of hers always had free tickets to the opera. And she used to call my mother Edie Available. <laughs> Edie Available because my mother had a spontaneity about her. She was always ready to go. And so she said about my mother, you could call her a half an hour before the opera. You could call her a half an hour or 20 minutes before anything. Hey, I got tickets. You want to go? Yes. Yes, I do. And that spontaneity, right, which is really the chesed side of a person, right? Not being so bound up, not being so restricted, not feeling like you're in a straitjacket, even though you're very comfortable in that straitjacket, right? But allowing yourself to expand, to be expansive, to go beyond, right? So I always like that, that she was Edie available. And I definitely inherited that. If you call me and say, hey, Devorah, you want to go bike riding today? It's gorgeous out. I don't care what else is going on. I'm, yes, everything else can wait, right? So we all have those areas in our life where we're ready to go. What are they? And what are the ones that we say, uh, and we drag our feet and we make a face? Okay, ladies, love you all. Have a great week. And God willing, I'll see you on Sunday for the last Shimona Esrei class. God willing, we're going to wrap it up. Okay. Beautiful, Devorah. Thank you. Very nice. Hope you enjoyed this class. To sponsor a future class or for a complimentary and completely confidential coaching session with me, as I support you in reaching your goals and actualizing your true potential, please email me at DevorahVale at yahoo.ca. That's Devorah, D-E-V-O-R-A-H, Vale, V-A-L-E, at yahoo.ca.